as I prayed about what to share with you guys today, um, to keep on in 1 Corinthians, I could have done the end of chapter 14 and finished off there, but I'd begun doing working on a series that starts in Romans 12 about the body of Christ. And I thought this would be a fitting message to end with. Be the last message as I'm here in that regard to share with you. And so if you'd turn to Romans 12, I want to read those first five verses. The title of the message today is The Unity of the Body. It reads there in Jesus' name, I urge you, brothers, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Heavenly Father, this is your word. and As has already been prayed, we again pray that you would sanctify us in this truth. Set us apart. Lord, thank you that you are the head. We can be a part of that body when we trust you. Do your work today, God, we pray. Amen. You'll notice in the verse 5 of the text that it says, in Christ we form one body. <laughs> to simply put, I mean, we, we have to put it there that it's in Christ that we're the one body. It signifies the def- definite union of all Christians, all true believers around the world. <laughs> We may, differ on certain, we may differ on certain doctrines and it may seem as though unity is lacking when people look at it from the outside. But we are united in Christ. We're not united with the world. <laughs> Satan t- tries to unite movements that cannot or should not be united. It's like he tries to put dead branches onto a tree is what he's trying to do. That way they can stay dead. <laughs> I mean, have you ever tried, have you ever taken a cat and tied its tail to a dog tail? If you did that, you might get a union of some kind, but it's not unity, is it? God's the one who must join the branches to the vine. People that are brought to true salvation through God's Word. People that are born into, born again into the family of God. In John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, John wrote, But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. (laughs) Therefore, if we separate ourselves from the body of Christ, we break with God's people and we break with God. So let's look at verse 1 and let's note here first of all 
as he urges us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You see there, he says, by the mercies of God, I want you to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. That's your spiritual service. Each member of the body lives for the entire body and it takes orders from the head. Now, what if the parts of the body refuse to take orders from the head? What if they're not presenting themselves, their whole selves, as living sacrifices? They aren't living for the entire body then. They hinder the body rather than help. And God's mercy here, and that's the first thing we see, God's mercy desires that we give our whole self to Him. After all, He's the one who's been merciful to us, hasn't He? You ever thought about God's mercy? He doesn't give us what we deserve. He withholds that. He shows mercy. I think of the words in Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Jeremiah writes this as he sees Jerusalem being burnt down. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. It made me think about Martin Luther. Martin Luther tried to be good enough for God for so long. He struggled. He could never be good enough for God. Until he realized who God was and who God is. That He is a righteous God. More than that, he's a God of compassion and love as well. If you ever get a chance to, to watch the Luther movie that was made a few years ago, and I would encourage you to do that as a family, to watch what he went through and how things went. There's a, there's a part in that movie, and you'll see the picture of the screen, that part that's on there um, with things. That, oh, by the way, I forgot one verse on you there, but that's okay. We'll stay with this. <laughs> As we go along, but there's this scene where he's preaching, and I don't know if this is the way Martin Luther preached or whatever, but I'm giving you verbatim what he says to the the the, uh, the congregation. He says, "Terrible, unforgiving. That's how I saw God punishing us in this life, committing us to purgatory after death, sentencing sinners to burn in hell for all eternity. But I was wrong." Those who see God as angry do not see Him rightly. But they look upon a curtain as though a dark storm cloud is being drawn across His face. If we truly believe that Christ is our Savior, then we have a God of love. And to see God in faith is to look upon His friendly heart. So when the devil throws your sins in your face as you say, as he says, you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. For where He is, there I shall be also. When judgment comes to a person or a nation, God has a saving purpose in mind. 
always. Second Chronicles 7.14 Those words, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Oh, that America would do such a thing. Oh, that we would do such a thing. If we beheld God with His tender compassion, then we would run to Him with our sin. Because God's tender compassion is what allows Him to forgive us. He loved the world so much. Sin grieves the Father heart of God. And He wants us to be saved from that sin. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. In Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, you see God's heart for people. You may look at this, you may wonder, because it says there, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And what does it say in verse 6? The Lord was angry and ready to just smuck them. It says the Lord was grieved. Any of you who have been parents, you know that aspect of things. All of us who have been children know that we've grieved our parents at times. The Lord was grieved that he had made man as earth and his heart was filled with pain. In Luke 19, it'd be interesting to go back to see Jesus as he viewed Jerusalem. And he saw the city and he begins to weep. And I wish today, he said, that all of you people would understand the way to peace. Because you didn't recognize it when it came. We read in another portion how he says, I wish I could be like a hen and pull you in, chicks under the wings. In Ephesians 4.30, it tells us that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice in our text in Romans 12 how God here and how Paul writes, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, I urge you. God urges us. God doesn't force us. Whom will you serve? God or the flesh? Which master will you choose? (laughs) For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not Do what you want. (laughs) There's that conflict that we'll have all through this life until death, until eternity is faced. Which master will be master? (laughs) Who will you present your bodies to as living sacrifices? Paul does in Philippians 3.8. Whatever was to my profit, he says, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. In Joshua 24, 
I remember this. There was always a plaque in our home that had the Erickson name on it and then had the verse underneath from Joshua 24, verse 15, where it says, If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that are on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think of Ruth in Ruth chapter 1. And she told Naomi, she said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following. For where you will go, I will go. Where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. And I think of Esther as she went to King Xerxes or Ahuzerus. And she was in danger for her life if the king had not extended But she went to save her people. And I think of Moses in Hebrews 11. He threw his lot in with the people of Israel. He could have stayed a prince. But it says there in Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, that when he grew up, he refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the, the fleshly pleasures that were there the flesh, fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Whom will you choose? Will you, will I present our whole bodies as a living sacrifice to God? Will we present our heart? Is our heart filled with compassion for the lost? How about our eyes? Do you see what's out there in the world today? Do you weep for the lost? Do you have a testimony for Jesus Christ? How about your ears? Are Are they tuned in to hear Christ's commands? Or is it just the noise of distraction that the world has all about you? How about your arteries? That seems kind of weird to say since I said the heart, but what about our arteries? Perhaps we have hardening of the arteries. Perhaps our heart starts to become hard. And the judgments we have are hard and critical. In James 3.17 it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. In other words, we need a soft heart. <laughs> to be true believers, we need that tender, childlike heart. Yet we're maturing in the faith. Many people have a complex We have a set opinion on everything. We can't can't accept correction, but we claim always to be right. You know what they have for a name for that? They call it the Hitler complex. Really what it is is a hard heart. May our hearts be soft. May we put ourselves fully on the altar. How about our tongues? 
That's the littlest member of the body, isn't it? But as James said, it can set a forest on fire. <laughs> you read it there in James chapter 3, all about taming that tongue. It can defile the whole body. <laughs> God doesn't want our tongues to be filled with the fire of hell, but He wants them to be filled with the fire from His altar. We read in Isaiah today, Isaiah the prophet saw himself. He saw himself as that great sinner and his tongue as that great evil. And in response to his penitent cry there in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the angel bring to his mouth that live coal from the altar and says to him, see, this coal has touched your lips. (coughs) Excuse me. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. There's an altar for every true believer. That altar is called Calvary. Where our sins are confessed and they are washed away in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our tongue is the thermometer of our soul. It reveals the state of warmth within. And God says we are to be fervent in our spirit. We're not to be lukewarm. We're not to be middle of the road with it, but we're to be hot or cold. To be fervent. What about your feet? (coughs) Excuse me again. Your feet, are they willing to go at the command of the Lord or are yours stumbling in the darkness? There was a little boy who was deeply moved by the pastor's sermon that day. He felt a call to missions. And when the offering plate came around, he wanted to give so badly. He had nothing to give in his pockets. And the plate came around and had this money in it and he didn't know what to do. He wanted to give. So you know what he did? He set the plate on the ground and he stepped into it himself. That congregation was so moved. (laughs) That little guy's gesture. May we present our bodies, our whole selves, as a living sacrifice unto God. Then unity will be evident in the body of Christ. Go to verse 2 of the text. Verse 2 of our text. That's where it mentions don't conform to the pattern of this world. One version says don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed. I think of Paul's words in Galatians 6, verse 14, where he says, May I never boast except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May we be soldiers of the cross. You remember, a vacation Bible school is coming up. I don't know that they'll do this song, but you guys remember the song, don't you? I may never march in the infantry. I may never ride in the cavalry. I may never shoot the artillery, but I'm in the Lord's army. <laughs> and some people go, oh, just stay away from guns and different things. 
It's not the guns or anything there with being in the Lord's army. Being in the Lord's army, we have His armor and we have one we have one offensive weapon right here. The Word of God. In 2 Timothy 2, 3-4, it says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, Paul writes. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Who's our commanding officer? It's not anybody in our congregations or leaders that way. Our commanding officer is Jesus Christ. It's His Word. It's important that we don't get caught up in the ungodly spirit of this world. In Luke 21, Jesus said, Be careful or your hearts will get weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. When we're joined to the body of Christ, we must live those spirit-filled lives, the spirit-minded lives. And we're to be different from the world. We live in this world, but we're to be different from it. And God made this clear to Paul in Acts 26. As Paul reiterated his conversion experience there. He's, Jesus said to him, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm standing, sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Our eyes are to be on Christ. What are we about as a body? (laughs) We should never lose that focus. The unsaved are blind, but the true believer in Christ is under the power of God and walks in the light. The unsaved world walks in darkness. The believers, true believers, have their sins forgiven and the unsaved is under bondage and condemnation. The true believer, <coughs> excuse me, the true Christian has his home in heaven. And the unsaved has a lost eternity to look forward to. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the earthly things. In James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We're not to be to conform to this world, but to be transformed. When we're a friend of this world, we're separated from God. And our destiny is eternal death. But if we're not conformed to this world, our destiny is eternal life. D.L. Moody, on his tombstone, had this written. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. (laughs) And that's the third thing I want us to note from verse 2 there is that we need to be transformed 
by the renewing of our mind. And then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. By the way, kids, if you ever want to know what God's will is, this verse tells us. God's will is to be that living sacrifice, to live for Jesus Christ. We may not know exactly what the next road takes or where we're supposed to go, but if we're following Him, that's His will. His will is that we have a daily living relationship with Jesus Christ. How can we contribute to the function of God's body? We contribute by doing God's will. It's simple to say that, but it's truly simple that that's what we need to do, to have that relationship. Daily dependence on Him. Remember the Sunday school song? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow Grow, grow. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. It's that simple truth of the Word of God and to participate in that divine nature, as it says in Second Peter 1. To remain in that intimate fellowship with God allows us to be transformed daily and to function properly in the body of Christ. And in verse 3, it leads us to that, that next part. But before we do that, it, it is interesting to note, well, actually, no, that's right. I'm on the right thing here. Um, before we do that, the verse 3, it talks about humility. We miss this part sometimes. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think humble ourselves. Think about people you've known who've walked the Christian faith throughout their lives. I can think of a number of people. What sticks out so often is their humility. They had all the reason in the world to tout themselves, but the humility they had because they served Jesus. J. Wilbur Chapman asked William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, What was the secret to his success? To this he replied, he said this. He said, God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains, with greater opportunities than I. But from the day I had a vision of what God could do with poor old London, I made up my mind that God could have all there was of William Booth. He thought clearly and humbly acknowledged that there were people with greater brains, greater opportunities. But who did he give the credit to? He gave it to God. The vision he had received is what God could do. I want to remind you, friend, that even the faith that we have is a gift from God. Look at verse 3 there again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. Whether you're a leader or whether you're a follower, everyone's a member of one another in the body of Christ. We're to live out that proper function by living out our faith. Look at verses 4 and 5. 
And we'll finish with this, that we are one in Christ. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, in Christ, we, though we're many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. (laughs) Oh, that we might all be living sacrifices for our blessed Lord. We need that passion that the Apostle Paul had. Philippians 1.21, he said, For me to live is Christ. To live is Christ. To die would be gain, to be with my Savior, but to live is Christ. We need that, that heart that only God can give us. I remember back when I was a high schooler and in, in Bible school and college and things, there was a song that Steve Green would sing. That's getting to be old now. It's weird to think about. He would sing, People Need the Lord. How simple can we put it? But that's what it is. People need the Lord. Christ needs to become more real to us. Our lost condition without Christ, it needs to grip our lives. But what also needs to grip our lives is what Christ did for us. There's a missionary hymn in the in the in the hymnal. It's called Macedonia, and one of the words is the vision of a dying world is vast before our eyes. May we be filled with the vision for those lost souls. <laughs> to possess Christ's passion, his desire. For sinners, we want the unity of the bi- unity of the body. <laughs> we go right back to that last verse. So in Christ, we though we are many, we form that one body, and each members belong to all the others. In Christ, in Him alone. The song we're going to sing and the song I've chosen is one from our hymnal. It's called, Is Your All on the Altar? It's a call to all of us. And it's a call that we can only do and follow by knowing what Christ has done for you and me. And as we sing it, may it speak to your heart and may these verses once again, may you be urged to be living sacrifices. After the song, we're going to have communion service I'll explain. It's going to be done a little different today, but God's blessings to you all. And thank you for hearing God's Word. May it be a part of your lives as you go forward. May you know Him and walk with Him. Lord, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it's about You. As we come to Your table today, Lord, To those who believe, we come sinners in need of your grace. May we receive your body and blood and may it strengthen us. And Lord, for each heart out there, if there's hearts that are wondering or don't know for sure, may you give them that assurance that if they are in you, that simple faith, help them to believe with their whole selves body and soul. Do your work, God. And thank you.